0: Xavier, I'd be rich if I had a dollar every time I heard someone say, man, I wish I knew 20 years ago what I know today about money. They need to be teaching about this stuff in school. Like the power of investing early. Compound interest. That alone would impact lives. Understanding and planning for taxes.
1: Understanding the difference between both good debt and bad debt. Eric, what about all the stuff about money that business owners need to know? What kind of insurance should you be buying? The importance of contributing towards your retirement. They don't teach any of this stuff in school. Y'all sit back,
0: get ready, because we are talking stuff about money they didn't teach you in school that you need to know. Welcome back to the Stuff About Money podcast. I am Eric Garcia, Certified Financial Planner, one of your co-hosts. Join us always with... Xavier Angel, Xavier what's happening man?
1: Not much man, everything is good.
0: Everything is good. We are getting tons of questions about the stock market, about inflation, about the economy, and you know, we're not economists. We're just we're just certified financial planners. We help people make decisions. So we lean on really really smart people to help us understand what's going on. So we have uh two guests today who are joining us um my friend, Eric Needham, um, I met Eric. Eric, you came down and, and we chatted here. Um, you, you had a conversation with us, us and Xavier uh, several several months ago, and you were kind enough to introduce us to Kevin. I'm going to let you introduce Kevin, introduce yourself a little bit more, and then we're going to get into the meat and potatoes of this conversation. Uh, and you know, we'll start there. Let's
1: go to do some introductions. Go ahead, Eric. Yeah. <laughs> sure thing. Eric, thank you so much, Xavier. Thanks for having us on. Uh, Eric Needham with Washington Crossing Advisors. Uh, asset manager, we've been around uh, since uh, 2000 and run uh, equity, equity, fixed income, and tactical asset allocation portfolios. Um, and uh, yeah, as you mentioned, I'm joined today by our resident expert, Kevin Curran, co-founder, co-senior PM uh, on the strategies, and uh, just general expert in regards to uh, anything uh, macroeconomic that you want to uh, throw his way. So please uh, pick his brain as much as you can. So PM, not prime minister. Portfolio manager. Uh, portfolio manager. Portfolio sorry. manager. Sorry, prime minister. That's in the news
0: these days. But uh, portfolio manager. Kevin, did Eric leave anything out? Do we need to add anything to your to your
2: resume? No, All no. Right. Good, good job. Thank you, Eric. Yeah. So well, you've been doing I'm this a kick. while. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. I said I began my career in the in the early 1990s. I I worked on Wall Street and came into the business at a time where we were transitioning from the the roaring 80s, if you will and all that that brought along with it. Uh, We all remember Gordon Gecko and greed is good and the high yield bond market and all of that kind of stuff. So, I came in kind of right at the the tail end of that party. And um, then for the last 30 years, lived through just some interesting market environments as we all have. So, the tech bubble, the tech wreck, the financial crisis, the the spectacular recoveries thereafter, uh, high interest rates, low interest rates, no inflation, lots of inflation, Democrats, Republicans, all sorts of stuff.
1: You've and, seen it all.
2: <laughs> well, I haven't seen it all, but uh, you know what, what? What we've seen is that the market does a spectacular job of working things out uh, over time. But in the meantime, the ups and downs can certainly create a lot of anxiety and uh, sleepless nights along the way.
0: Yeah, certainly. There's been there's been a, a lot of uh sleepless nights from, I know I've had conversations with, with some clients, but man, I love, I love how you just walked us through 30 years of market history and you hit these highlights of just a lot of like challenges that the market has had. And yet, like you said, we're still here, right? I think yeah. the biggest challenge, you know, me and, and, you know, I'm in a mastermind group with other financial advisors. And, and one of the things that we talk about is managing investments. Sometimes is easy. Managing investors is the difficult part. Like we're, we're dealing with emotions. Um, you know, you said greed is good. Greed is one of those emotions that we're not so much dealing with right now. When the markets are doing good, we have to deal with it. Right. We, 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 we see what that can lead. Uh, right now, the biggest emotion that we're dealing with is, is fear. And how Mm. do we, how do we calm our clients fears and get them to make really battling? I was watching CNBC this morning. I don't know who said it, but, um, it was they were interviewing the CEO of uh, his his name. I can't remember his name, CEO of Exxon. And he talked about battling short-termism. Battling mm. short-termism. And mm-hmm. I love that. So, all right. Before we talk market, I want to hear from both of you one thing about money that you know today that you wish you would have known at the beginning of your career or 20 years ago. Eric,
1: we'll let you go first. Um, uh, about money. So... Uh, twenty years. I, I guess the the biggest thing that I wish I would have done, uh, more so twenty years ago when I first got into the business, is uh, just tax advantaged accounts. Just the uh, socking away as much money as I possibly can into tax advantaged accounts um, from the get go, so that those that they that they grow so much more. Uh, basically, getting Uncle Sam away from it and keeping it in your own in your own account for retirement. So
0: traditional IRAs, Roth IRAs, 401ks, the, those types of things.
1: Yeah, maxing out your Roth, especially yeah. when you're uh, young. And I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. But it's just one of those things where not enough people ingrain that into your skull. Sure, you probably hear about it. Yep. Um, but uh, just the, the the compounding on that, the... The account values you'd be at if I had done that 20 years yeah. ago versus uh, it's yeah it makes all the difference in the world.
0: You wouldn't be here today, man. You'd be you'd be on the beach somewhere and grand Canyon, exactly right? right. I I could be retired at this point. Yes.
1: <laughs> all right, Kevin.
0: <laughs> what about you? I mean, what, what's something that maybe you wish you would have known uh, when you were a young man before you had all that 30 years of market experience?
2: I think I think it would be worry to worry less. I think that there's a tendency to focus on things that are scary and dramatic and especially when you're young. I think there's I think that worry an excessive amount of worry can really kind of cost you. And one of the things that um I don't think I really understood when I was when I was younger was just just why is it that for example stock values grow as they do over time? Why is I, 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 you know, I had a business degree, I went to school for this. But I think that, you know, when you get caught up in when you get caught up in a lot of drama, it's easy to kind of lose track of the longer term. So, whenever I talk with people who are coming into investing, or just people I've met for the first time, the first question is, what is your time horizon? Mm. And that is the one thing that uh I think we, I think, you know, if I could go back and do it all over again, you know, just to acknowledge that uh, it's not so much that time heals all wounds, but the longer term time horizon is the right one to have for investing. And to to really avoid all the negative implications that come with our, our human emotions, it can cause us to do the wrong thing at the wrong time. Now, you are
0: speaking my language. I, I, I love that idea. That's one of those things where as financial planners, that's what we do. Right. We want to we want to help people put things in perspective, put financial uh, decisions in perspective. I told someone the other day that sometimes the the advice we give isn't always super sexy because it's long term. Right. We It might not give you the biggest deduction today. Back to Eric you're thinking about tax planning. Right. It might. But over time, it might save you more money. But putting putting things in perspective and understanding the role of emotions in decision making and putting them in their proper in their proper place, man. I, I love that. All right. Let's talk about the market. Let's talk about the economy. Everything just seems broken, Kevin. It just seems broken. Yeah. Um when, when is it gonna get back
2: to normal? And what is normal? Know what that means? Uh, <laughs> uh, we, I I refuse to I refuse to use the word new normal anymore because we've had too many new new normals over the last thirty years to count. So we're not going to say that anymore. Uh, the, I think the state of the the state of the world is now always has been and probably always will be a state of moving from crisis to crisis, and those crises are the things that push us forward. If everything was just comfortable all the time and everything fit just right. There would be no reason for change, but the whole process of an, of how, of an economy and, uh, growth ultimately comes from a process of uncomfortability. So we've, so we, you can go back to the 19, you could start any time, but let's say we started in the 1970s. You had extremely high inflation. You had a significant underinvestment in productive capacity and capital in the United States. Uh, ultimately that created a lot of pain. The 1970s was not a fun time for a lot of people. Uh, produced some really cool music, actually. <laughs> there were some good things about the 1970s. Escapism. Uh, right. That's right.
0: You, you needed good music to cope.
2: Yeah. But, um, ultimately from that, uh, became, from that, un, that uncomfortable place came some changes and those changes then produced the next decade and so on and so forth. So it seems to me that the process of of markets always has to do with trying to find a comfortable place. Uh, maybe economists call it equilibrium. Um, but I would just say that in, in my experience, it's always we've always been in a, some kind of crisis looking to move through that to get to the other place. Um, if there's a positive in all of this, I do see that most people tend to benefit simultaneously from things like an expanding economy. Uh and that and so incentives are aligned at the policy level uh, all the way down to an individual who wakes up in the morning and decides to go to work. We all want to better our life, our lot in life and very few from the policy level and global politics all the way down to local politics and individuals families and their own personal decisions uh there there's a real there's a there's a real push and pull because when we find ourselves in a bind, it creates an incentive to move forward. And yeah. I think that under undergirding progress is that tension. And so, again, yeah. right now today, we clearly have that tension with yeah. COVID, higher interest rates, the war in Ukraine, all of these things. Uh, but ultimately, we're on a path that will eventually resolve those things because uh, pain is a very good motivator. So
0: so kind of what you're saying is don't be afraid Like, crisis might be normal. Like this is this is this actually probably is more normal state when we have crisis, you know, straight up markets isn't typically normal. So having crisis isn't something we should be afraid of because it is a little bit more normal and uh, and friction isn't necessarily bad. One of my favorite one of my favorite proverbs it says "As iron sharpens iron. There's the idea like if you want to sharpen iron, there's friction, there's there's heat, right? And so what you're saying is a crisis in the economy could well serve
2: as the friction necessary to further grow. Uh, sure. And and, the, and markets are somewhat backwards uh, in the way we think about markets are backwards. I, I mean, just the easiest way to think about it. If something goes on sale at the store, we usually buy more. But when asset prices come under pressure, we typically run away from them. It's a very weird uh, gearing of of you know I'm you know, like anybody else you know there there's a there, you know there's a tendency to think that way um, I, I think as someone who's done this for a long time we make some we we have a habit at Washington Crossing for example of looking at markets and trying to estimate what the expected returns are and here's what here's what we've seen at Washington Crossing uh, when when prices go up all else equal expected returns go down a bond investor will understand that immediately. Uh and the stock investor should see it really the same way. Uh that prices paying high prices uh ultimately lower expected returns all else being held equal. And so a couple years ago when we published our long run expected returns at Washington Crossing Um, it was quite a sobering experience because when things got really crazy at the, you know, during 2021 with markets hitting new highs and lots of speculation. Well, when we put pen to paper and did the math, our expected returns on the stock market were down in the low single digits. It was very, it was actually kind of depressing. So even though, even though the, the financial media was having a party as the markets were making new highs, when we did the math, we were kind of feeling quite the opposite. So today, when we do the same math in the same way with prices lower, we're now seeing higher expected returns and that's actually positive for us. So it's good to, th- to to be invested in the stock market for growth, yes, but if you can invest in the stock market for growth but then have the sensibilities of a bond investor, I think you've got really the best toolbox you could possibly have to be successful. Over the long term.
0: So what what you just talked about there, I think hits on the head exactly what you said about about the the emotional side of investing. Like everything you just said it's really hard. Like everything's good, everything feels good. So hey, I wanna I wanna invest now. Well, that's it's the most expensive time to invest. The best time to invest is like when it's terrible. There's a really interesting um, stat put out by uh, I think it's University of Michigan, the sentiment uh, um, yeah. measure. Yeah. And if you would have if you would have invested at the lowest at the at the uh, at the trough, the lowest like consumer sentiment about the economy, like when everyone was feeling the worst, your next 12 months expected return, I think, was somewhere right around 24, 25 percent. As opposed to investing at the highest at the peak of the the sentiment meter, your invested your your expected return over the next twelve months would have been somewhere around four or five percent. So what you exactly what you just said about the 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 data that y'all follow. And let it inform your investment decisions is backed up by um, you. Don't, you don't need me to affirm your uh, your investment decisions. You've been doing this long enough, but it's cool to see that.
2: Yeah, and, and and I'll say I'll say that most of this happens. You know, most of the anxiety happens at extremes. I mean, I've, I, I'm I'm a, I'm I'm a human. And I have emotions, uh, but I, I remember the late '90s being a very stressful time uh, as the markets were soaring to new highs, trying to square all this and um, sometimes, the emotions can be euphoric. In other words, I bought something low and now it's high, we, whoopee, that's great. Well, what if you didn't buy it and your friend did? Then you've experienced regret. You feel, you know, I missed out on the boat and maybe you feel like comp- compelled to throw in with everybody else and to make a purchase uh, even though you haven't really done the math or you really aren't thinking about it with your uh, rational brain. but you're being compelled emotionally to to throw in the towel and jump in and how many times have we heard the the story of the investor who throws in at the last minute only to find themselves burned so i think i think to have that now to stay away from that i think to have that longer perspective you know you should be asking yourself about you know the next 10 years or so and recognize that that you, you have a as a person have to live a life you've most people have jobs. Most people are educating themselves. Most people are bet- bettering themselves, creating cash flow for, in terms of an income, hopefully. Um, but on top of that, if you're an investor, you have another engine of growth, which is the capital that you have accumulated. And you have to understand that, especially in the case of, you know, stocks and, uh, you know, and bonds too, that capital is working for you on top of what you're doing with your own uh, job and creating income, so when you combine those two things and you recognize that as an as an entity you 're creating personal wealth in two ways by bettering yourself, becoming educated, working, bringing in income cash flow it 's a flow concept, but then at the same time you 've got capital that even though it, 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 that old adage that lets your money work for you, it is true that the compounding effect of stocks and bonds can be very powerful, but usually over the longer period of time is where you see the benefit of that. Man, so maintain just, that just, longer view. You just beautifully
0: tied together the thing that Eric wish he would have did twenty years ago, and the thing that you wish you would have known twenty years ago: perspective and compounding. And you just you just beautifully threaded it together. I don't know if you intended to do that. Um, let me let's go back to something you said earlier about this idea of friction and crisis and. Um, and how it's it's not necessarily all that bad. Then you talk about rising uh, prices and in, in the, in the valuation of stocks. Rising prices, inflation, that's something that we're really dealing with right now. It's hot and heavy. Um, by the time this episode drops, the Federal Reserve will have, have had their meeting in November, and everyone's uh, anxiously anticipating to see what do they do. Do they continue their aggressive rising of interest rates, right? And they're doing that to try to to, to curtail inflation. Talk to talk to us in about about inflation. What what should we be expecting? And, and even just the idea, like well, what's the big deal, right? If things get more expensive, but yet we pay people more, right? Social Security is going up and, and pension payouts are going up because it's all it's all pegged to inflation. So if everything just gets more expensive, what's the big deal? Why, why, why does it impact the economy? And why does the Fed want to like basically you know, get us to the verge of possibly recession or recession to solve the problem.
2: Yeah. All right. So, so we're entering we're entering a red zone for this conversation. And so, I'm going to throw a flag on the field and say, I, I want to define a term before I, I answer your question. So, Perfect. Uh, the, the way that the way that we look at inflation is uh, that it changes. It's a change in the value of your money for the worst. Uh, We we always talk about it in terms of in the headlines, well, the consumer price index is up 8.5% or, you know, et cetera and so forth. But really what's happening is the value of the money that you own is being diluted. Well, how does that happen? Well, for the most part, it happens when the government prints a lot of money um, or through the financial system, money is printed. And uh, we all all can recognize this very easily. Uh, If you... If you have a collectible and it's rare, it's going to be very valuable. If if you print up a whole bunch of these collectibles, uh, create a lot of these collectibles, Uh, I don't know how many of you remember the Cabbage Patch Kids thirty years ago when they first came out. Everyone wanted to get a Cabbage Patch Kid. You you come back six months later, there's a zillion Cabbage Patch Kids. They're not worth anything. So it's the same thing with money. If there's a lot of it that's printed, it's worth less, and the way it shows up as higher prices. Uh, so initially, uh, if you have, if you see higher asset prices, stock prices, bond prices, uh, usually not so much bond price, but stock prices or real estate prices, then you feel wealthier. And that's a good thing. Um, but then as time goes on and we start to see those prices showing up at the gas station and what we have to bet, you know, pay to live every, every day, then the pain comes. So inflation has been with us for, at least a hundred years, and as and as it goes, um, that process is something that's very dangerous to your money. And if I had to just bottom line it, uh, you know, my grandfather, I don't know, eighty years ago, ninety years ago, if he had a hundred dollar bill and he could have invested it in the stock market or, uh, you, know, in, you know, in gold even or real estate. Or put the hundred dollar bill in his, you know, uh, under his mattress. Well, maybe in maybe in nineteen, you know, nineteen thirty, uh, that hundred dollar bill might have meant a lot to him. Today, a hundred dollars really isn't worth all that much. But if that same hundred dollars was invested in stocks or or uh, gold or real estate or whatever, uh, it would be worth something considerable today. So the whole reason we invest is to protect. Over the long run, against the destruction of the value of money, which is very obvious today.
0: Yeah, so it's one of those risks that we think we're avoiding, right? We we, we try to we try to um, de-risk our portfolios, and sometimes people try to de-risk for too long, and they've introduced this new risk in their portfolio: inflation risk. Like your money is just sitting there.
2: Um, or just think, think of it this way: at the price of everything that you look at, it's we see it as a number. So you have a, a mil, you know a million dollar house, let's say. Well, oh, it's a million. That's a number, but it's really a ratio. It's one house for a million dollars. There's two numbers, mm-hmm. and when you see the value of that million dollar house go up, um, it, 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 you know the, 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 it may be that the house hasn't become intrinsically more valuable at all. Well, if the house hasn't changed in value, it's the same house. Well, here's what well, I don't understand it, what you're really seeing what you're really seeing is that the value of your money is being diluted. so the question then becomes, well, if putting your money under your mattress in the long run risks having it diluted uh, then you're better then you need to put your money in some other vehicle uh, and typically it would be hard assets or stocks as an hedge against inflation. where you really tend to get more hurt is as a bondholder. Uh, where your future cash payments become eroded. And that's why bonds have suffered badly this year. Here's
0: what I find interesting. Um, as long as I've been in this business, I came in, I started in 2001, really went independent in 2008. And that's kind of when I would say, I really started you know, hard on the investment side. Yeah, I had my licensing, we we're doing smaller stuff. But that's when I really started doing advisory business. And as, as long as I can remember, we've had historic low interest rates, as long as my career has been around. And people have always talked about we're going to pay for this one day, we're going to pay for this one day. Inflation is going to go up, but interest rates stayed really, really low. We're going to pay for this one day, and then all of a sudden now we're paying for it, and everyone seems surprised by it. Like, oh, inflation is so high. And I'm like, why? Why are we surprised? Like, shouldn't I mean, yes, we're looking backwards and oh well, yeah, we should have saw it coming. It should have happened, and and we all play. You know, uh, it's always easy to look look. You know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, but like. We shouldn't really be surprised by what we've seen this year, should we?
2: Well, you've had a tremendous amount of money created during during uh, since the the pandemic hit. Uh, the the federal government uh, and the Federal Reserve uh, essentially worked together to put into existence about five trillion dollars of additional money. Uh, if you look at you know a measure of the money supply, a common the most common measure of the money supply. You'll see that the supply of money in the economy has increased by about forty percent uh, in the two years post-COVID. So, to put that in perspective, um, back in the '70s, when we last had a big inflation problem, uh, there were two surges uh, in the '70s. When the in 1970, I think two and three, the money supply grew by twenty percent in that interval, and then in the later '70s, I think it was maybe 76, 77. It again grew by 20%. And we had a terrible inflation in the 70s. Well, in a two-year period during COVID, the money supply didn't increase 20%. It increased 40% in one shot. And it was enormous, the amount of money that was put into the economy. And arguably, uh, you now have more money chasing fewer goods. So when you look at the uh, ability of the economy to produce things, Economists, including at the Fed, have been reducing what they think the economy is capable of producing. So you've got the, you've got the perfect storm for inflation now. You've created a lot more money Mm -hmm. uh, and you're, and arguably when you look at productivity and supply chains and all of that, the ability of the economy to produce things has stagnated. So that is the perfect, that's the perfect storm for inflation. And that's why it's in the headlines so much this year.
0: So when the Fed raises rates, talk us through this real quick, and then I have a a question I want to switch subjects um, here for a second. So as the Fed raises rates, how does that combat inflation? Talk us through that.
2: So if if the Fed is cutting interest rates and buying assets, they're essentially injecting money into the private economy. We can all think about this when we borrow money. Uh, You go to the store, you have a credit card, you go to the cash register, you swipe your credit card. You're creating money you've got a bank essentially that's creating money to set to settle that transaction at the store if the money is cheaper to borrow it's going to be more it's going to be easier to go to the store and spend that money and so we collectively create money in that way the government does it the same way the government may come along and say well we we for to build roads bridges or uh, you know to supplement uh, people and businesses during tough times like the pandemic. We're going to inject money into the economy. The treasury borrows the money. The Fed buys the, the, the treasury bonds. Well, it's another way of putting money into the economy. So the, the process of lowering interest rates and, and having the Federal Reserve buy assets, usually the bonds that are sold by the treasury, that's your textbook way of creating more money in the economy. And by raising interest rates, you're, and by the Federal Reserve Uh, selling assets, you're putting that whole process in reverse. And that's what's happening now. And the good news is, if I can fast forward to this part, is that if you look at the last six months, there's been essentially no growth in the money supply. So after tremendous growth for the first two years of COVID, which created a lot of inflation, you now have had a six month period with higher interest rates and basically no growth in the money supply. So if you follow that through, you, there's a reasonable, uh, chance that within a year or so, we'll start to see a flattening out of this inflation problem. But all of this is a reminder of just what a threat inflation can be and how it works. All right. You just said
0: something. This actually is going to lead me to the next question I have. And and people are thinking, oh, my gosh, Kevin just said a year or so. We have to live through this for another year. Are we going to live through another year of 2022 markets, I've always been fascinated by the difference between the economy and the stock market, and they're they're really not the same thing. They're they're tied. Their fortunes are tied to each other. But talk us through that. Do we have to live through no, this for another year? And what do we what do we know about the stock market and the economy? And how do they work in tandem?
2: Let me change a little bit. Uh, it, it's not so much in the long run. There's a there's a very significant connection between the stock market and the economy. If you, if I drew a graph of the uh, the economy for the last 70, 80 years, and I laid on top of that, the Standard & Poor's 500, drew a trend line through both, you'd say, <laughs> they both go up about 7% a year. And there's a reason for that. Productivity growth, growth in the labor force, a little bit of inflation, put it all in a bag and shake it, and for the last 80 years, you get about 7% growth, both in the economy and in the stock market. No big surprise. However, I think what you're really getting at is what happened this year was not a disconnect between the economy and the market. It was a disconnect between what the market expected at the beginning of the year and what actually happened. Let me parse that a minute. So at the beginning of the year, if you were to ask the financial markets what they thought, what the markets thought collectively about interest rates for the next 10 years, the answer would have been, just like you said earlier, a continuation of essentially 0% interest rates for the next 10 years. The market was completely asleep to the question of higher inflation and higher interest rates back in January. The spring came, inflation woke up the Fed, the Fed got very uh, concerned about inflation, started aggressively raising interest rates and shocked the market who, like you said, when you came into the business, it was low interest rates, it's been that way for 20 years. The market did not expect the sea change that they had this year and suddenly the market found itself in January off sides and had had spent now the last nine months correcting the earlier misassumption that we would have low interest rates forever. Mm-hmm. And even though we feel like, oh my gosh, we've been talking about higher interest rates and inflation forever. The reality is the market has had to go from an expectation of no interest rate hikes basically at the beginning of the year to now you know what seems like high inflation and endless interest rate hikes now and that process of adjusting between what was perceived and what turned out to be is the thing that caused most of the volatility we've seen this year
0: and um to kind of go back to what you said earlier Crisis to crisis. This is a crisis, and you know, uh, I talked about sh- battling short-termism. The challenge for us as investors is: what do we do with this information? What do we do with this data? What do we do when we see our quarterly statements? Like they're they're terrifying, right? To see some of the the drops in our portfolio values.
2: Yeah, I think acceptance is a big part of this. Um, I like to say we all we always tend to feel like we own too much of the things that go down and not, never enough of the things that go up it's just part of investing um but accepting kind of where things are uh is is very helpful uh, i think that i think that having a perspective that that longer perspective is kind of important and i would go back and i would say well where was i 10 years ago you know what was my financial situation 10 years ago um, and where am I today? And even though we've had some diminution in the value of the stock market, as I said earlier, it's not necessarily all unhealthy. The run-up in 2000 and 2020, 2020 2021 was equally as unhealthy in some respects, if not more so, than the process that's happening today. Talk about a bond investor. Uh, the five-year treasury bond is down 13%, worst year in record. For a very boring five-year Treasury bond, uh, the fixed-income investors have been hurt. They've had a they've had a drop in the value of their portfolios. However, the good news is that we do now have a rate of interest that is attractive. Mm-hmm. So, over time, the most important thing to a fixed-income investor, the ones that have been hurt very badly this year, is To have a positive rate of interest because the reinvestment rate, the rate at which coupon payments come due and get rolled over or new monies get invested, those are really the things that determine what the return is for the fixed income investor. If you went to 0% interest rates, what would you do as a fixed income investor? There'd be nothing to do. So to have higher interest rates, the silver lining here is that the higher interest rates actually create, puts meat on the bones for a longer-term bond investor, and it has brought valuations on stocks down to a level that has put some meat on the bone for the stock investor by making valuations more rational than they were a year or two ago. And it's in there that the seeds of recovery and longer-term good things happen.
0: So last question on the economy and and, and the market in that tie um the stock market is a leading indicator of the economy right it kind of leads the economy right yeah generally typically so yeah. as as I as I watch things unfold I'm always I'm always amazed by what the market does in response to some sometimes some of the news that's coming out and sometimes it just doesn't seem to to act rationally um so a lot of the talk right now seems to be actually you know, I'm, I'm I'm so happy to be talking to you and hear all the all your positive remarks and silver lining remarks, because that's not typically what you hear on the network shows. There's still, there's still, I mean, the rhetoric is still hot and heavy about recession, recession, soft recession. It's still, it's still hot and heavy, but yet my goodness, October has been a phenomenal month for the market in the midst of the rhetoric getting hot and heavy about recession. Make makes sense of that for us. You know, what's,
2: what's going on? The media never makes a makes a lot of money out of making long term projections i mean I, I you know I think the financial news shows and twitter and you know they're they're making a lot more money today than let's say the farmer's Almanac is so you know to have this longer term view of things uh doesn't really sell newspapers as they used to say um, but uh ultimately uh yeah we're having a we're having a little bit of a rally here this is a um, I wouldn't make too much, wouldn't make too much of it. Um, But when you look at the, when you look at where, where we are, um, okay, I'm going to, I'd say number one, you have to have a longer term point of view. We talked about that. Now I want to take a shorter term view of things. What we've seen this year, the first half of the year, we have a very significant inflation threat. Over the summer, the bond market became skittish about recession. So the focus has shifted. In the last six months, in a short term view from worry about inflation and overheating to higher interest rates and the potential for a recession. And you're seeing it because long term treasury rates are falling relative to short rates as the Fed raises interest rates. And that's an indicator that a recession is more likely. The other thing that we're seeing is that the earnings forecast on companies. Uh, are, are starting to roll over. So that's kind of indicative of potentially a, a recessionary kind of environment. The third thing that we see at Washington Crossing, we track the performance of what we call A-quality stocks versus F-quality stocks. A-quality stocks would be those that are more flexible, more predictable, um, more durable. Companies with like low debt and profitable assets, consistent businesses, those high quality stocks, let's say the A quality stocks, those are finally performing better than, let's call it the F quality stocks as the, as the summer took, you know, kind of wore on and into the fall. So I think that the market is actually worried that we could see some re- recession in the next six months, 12 months, 18 months. Um, the only thing I would throw out there though, is that for a garden variety recession, a 20-30% kind of reduction in stock values is about what you would expect and we've already had it, to, to your point. So the good case scenario is that you have a relatively mild recession and then you move on, you get to the other side of that market can perform better because once the market kind of as I was saying earlier, once the market already expects something, and has priced it in; mm-hmm. it can cope with it. So, so it goes back to the we might a, we, It's looking more likely that we're going to have a recession, but yeah. the good news is that it is, you know, to some extent, priced in. So it's already, it goes back to the comments about the market didn't expect interest rates
0: going up. Interest rates started going up, shocked the market. The market's expecting recession. Recession happens. I mean, they might the day they come out and say we're in recession, the stock market could could go up, right? Because the stock was like, yeah, of course we knew that. But the investors, yeah, we, we kind of had an idea. Of it. Maybe it won't go up, but you see my- Right, opinion.
2: right. And then of course, getting back to the media, the media will will, will be very much focused on on losses. Investors hate, you've heard this one I'm sure a thousand times, investors hate losses twice as much as they uh, like games. Yep. So if you want to get people's attention, you know, the bad news sells on the front page of the newspaper. And so that's what, what you're going to hear about all the time.
0: One last thing that we'll cover real quick and then another hot topic, because um, it sells. Our midterms. Everyone's talking about the midterms in the market. Should we be worried? <laughs> Should we be worried? What's what's? Oh my gosh! If if this party wins, then this is going to happen. If that party wins, then this is going to happen. I tell people, like investors are going to make money. Doesn't matter who wins. They just they don't. The stock market doesn't like uncertainty, and and more are up to a midterm. There's uncertainty. The stock market just wants to know what the rules are going to be,
2: and, and then we'll figure it out. First of all, I have two. I have two kids in college, both of whom are taking midterms now. Are very very stressed out about their midterms so as soon as he said midterms my my brain immediately went to uh to college midterms but yes the midterms are coming up and you can he- you can hear the drum beat now um essentially you know the typically in midterms the incumbents lose uh they lose some ground that's the you know so if you just looked at history uh there would be some expectation that maybe Maybe you would end up in a situation where there's a little more gridlock in washington um, ultimately, ultimately, if you look at as an inflationary gap, an inflationary problem, which is what we seem to be confronted with today, the textbook remedy for it is to tighten is to raise interest rates basically tighten up on monetary policy, which is happening, and then the other part of it would be to Uh, the other part of it would be to cut spending, government to cut spending and raise taxes, essentially shrink the budget deficit, which if you ended up with a, with, uh, more gridlock in Washington, uh, that's probably what you would end up getting. But the good news would be that, 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 that response to kind of shrink, uh, government spending, raise taxes, shrink the deficit. (laughs) That's the text, that's the textbook answer to an inflation problem. So if you get so if you were to get a more uh if you if if the democrats were to lose uh some seats and you ended up with a little bit more gridlock and you know as a consequence you ended up with a little bit of a smaller budget deficit you know in in a sense it would be almost what the doctor ordered, ordered at least if you read any macroeconomics textbook is what you're supposed to do to mm-hmm. cure an inflation problem. So I don't know that that would be the worst outcome. Okay.
0: Cool. So, um, Xavier, I've been asking all the questions and we're coming up here to the end of the call. So do you (laughs) you have any comments or questions or anything for we wrap up?
1: No, keep it. Keep it rolling. You just you just
0: learned we're taking you to school. Uh, Kevin is taking uh, us to school. I am
1: going to school right now. I'm learning a lot. So this
0: this is beautiful. Kevin. All right. Uh, Closing remarks. Anything else that we didn't talk about that we need to be thinking about uh, that, that should be on our radar? I mean everything you said you I feel like I feel like we're singing from the same hymnal like like we are we are you're talking about long term perspective that's that's what we talk about the idea of um, of having someone help you manage emotions and making decisions so important so important so w- what give us something here to close us out if there's something that we that we're not thinking about
2: I th- I think it's always it's always helpful to make make investment decisions to put it down on paper uh, making decisions in your head, driving to and from work, or uh, you know, in the shower in the morning while you're trying to figure things out—it's not the best way to do it. So to put something down on paper, to have a plan, to go back periodically revisit that plan, to find people that you can confide in and t- and talk to, so that as things change in your life or your situation changes, or you even have questions. That you can have a sounding board, someone that someone that understands, that can reflect back to you what you're saying. Um, because the reality is that yes, this can be very mathy and it can be very scientific sounding with a lot of jargon. But the reality is that the market is made up of individuals, all of whom have their own their own emotions, and even the professionals are emotional. Uh, they're human, so by definition, professionals are. Uh, subject to certain biases too. But I think if we, if we find people in life that we can talk to and confide in and bounce ideas off of, that process can lead us typically to better places, greater wealth, and avoid some of the pitfalls and mistakes that typically can trip us up along the way. So keep that longer perspective, understand that yes, we're going through tough times. Acceptance is key to that. And if you can find someone to talk to and bounce ideas off of, someone you can trust build that relationship over time, that relationship can be the most valuable thing that you really ultimately have as an investor.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that. I was having a conversation with someone the other day that um, we called it emotional math. Not all financial decisions are made uh, with, with dollars and cents in mind, that we have to realize that we are emotional beings and sometimes emotions are, are very bad advisors. Sometimes they're telling us things that we need to pay attention to and lean into. So yeah. Um, Man, Kevin, That's thank right. you. Thank you for your time. I know you I know you're busy and I know you have uh, uh, a lot of uh, analysis and stock analysis to go do. Things seem to be changing minute by minute. Eric, thanks again for the uh introduction to Kevin and, and Xavier. I, I hope we, we hope we brought you to school, man.
1: Appreciate thank you guys you. coming. I learned a lot today. You could be a PhD done. To... Definitely. <laughs> thank you for taking me to school, guys. Thank you guys for having us. And uh yeah, let us know if you ever want us to uh to get back on. I know Kevin's yeah. always uh, always looking forward to, to teach a class. So awesome. All right, guys. Thank you. All right, guys. Take care. Thanks so much.
0: Information presented and discussed on the Stuff About Money podcast is for educational purposes only and does not constitute direct financial advice. Consult with a qualified financial advisor prior to implementing any strategies discussed. Eric Garcia and Xavier Angel's branch office is located in New Orleans, Louisiana. The branch phone number is 504-218-5479. Securities offered through Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC. Advisory services offered through New Century Financial Group, LLC, a registered investment
1: advisor not affiliated with Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated.